Hey everybody, uh, thanks Ian for reading that. Um, I wanted you all to hear this whole story in context. Our, our question today, we're talking about questions Jesus asked, and our question today comes from this story, uh, and you heard Ian mention it a minute ago, uh, when John says, if I tell you about earthly things and you will not believe, how will you believe when I tell you of heavenly things? So we're going to dive into this story a little bit because I kind of feel like this is one of the um, one of the most misunderstood stories. Uh, obviously, from this story, we get uh, the the most probably one of the most famous verses of Scripture, John three sixteen, uh, right? And and we heard that just a moment ago. Um, but I also think that that maybe we misunderstand it just a little bit. So I, let's just dive in, and I'll I'll explain what I mean. So beginning in in the beginning of of chapter three, we hear that there was a man named Nicodemus, uh, and John tells us that he was a Jewish religious leader. Who was a Pharisee. Important to note that Nicodemus was part of this uh, group of leaders of the Jews that we would call the Sanhedrin. We talk about them later in, uh, in the Gospel of John when, when Jesus comes on trial before the Sanhedrin. Well, this was a group of, of Jews that the Roman ruling power had given some authority to, to make decisions and to rule the Jewish people, right? So Nicodemus is part of that group. So he's not just uh, a religious leader or a teacher of the law. He's sort of one of the, the political rulers of, of the time as well. Um, and interestingly, it says in verse 2, after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Now, interestingly, why would Nicodemus come after dark? It could be, you know, sometimes their conversations would go late in the, the night when you were uh, having conversations as a, as a rabbi or, or in this sort of discourse. But honestly, I have a hunch that there's a reason Nicodemus, who was part of this ruling class, wanted to come to Jesus at night. He didn't want to be seen. He didn't want other people to, to see him going to Jesus and asking questions. Because Jesus was teaching some different things that, that, that didn't really line up with what the Pharisees uh, were about. And so he went to Jesus under the cover of darkness, and I think that's important. He went to Jesus one evening. He came to speak with him. Rabbi, he said, we all know all he says, not I know. He says, we all know. So he's talking for other people. We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Now that word God is the same word that John uses in the very first verses of the Gospel of John where he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So John is making the claim here as John is, is retelling this story that Nicodemus understands Jesus has come from the one true God. So do you see how this is setting up the idea that Nicodemus is putting his faith in Jesus? He says that, uh, he says, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. And then Nicodemus says, your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Just a few verses earlier, uh, you can read at the end of chapter 2, it says that Jesus did a whole lot of miracles at Passover that year, and a lot of people believed in him. And that word believe, we talk about this a lot, pistuo, means to put your faith in something. Not just to believe that the chair will hold you, but to place your faith in it by sitting in the chair. So people believed, they trusted Jesus. And what Nicodemus is saying here, that I saw these signs that you were doing, and no one could do those things unless that person had come from God, the one true God. 
So all of this sets up the thing that I think is misunderstood about this story. I think most of the time when people read this story, they they see Nicodemus as someone who needs to be uh, to to need, who needs to believe in Jesus, who maybe has an incomplete faith or an imperfect faith, and so Jesus goes on and explains to him how to be born again, and that's sort of what causes the confusion. But I think there's something different here that's going on. In verse three, it says, "Jesus replied, I tell you the truth." I want to pause right there because this is this is a phrase that if you if you're used to the uh, the King James version or other versions you might have heard the phrase verily verily I say unto you right or truly truly I say unto you you see this in John's gospel a lot and it's important to understand what the root of that phrase is the phrase in Greek is amen amen lego su Amen, amen, lego su. Lego is related to the word logos. It means to speak. It means speaking words. Uh, su is to you, so I speak to you, right? But the first one, amen, amen, it's exactly what it sounds like, folks. The word amen comes from that word, amen, amen, lego su. Jesus is saying amen to what Nicodemus just said. When Jesus starts a phrase by amen, amen, lego su, he's saying totally, I, I'm in agreement with you. It's why, why we say amen at the end of a prayer is if someone else speaks that prayer and we want those words to be our own, we, we speak in agreement with it. We say amen or amen, right? So Jesus' next statement is not counter to what Nicodemus is saying. Jesus' statement here is actually in agreement with what Jesus is saying because he says amen, amen. It's like if you and I were walking outside together and you said, man, it sure is a gorgeous day. And I said, totally. Or, yeah, absolutely. It's a statement of affirmation. I agree with you, right? And that's important because here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, amen, amen. I'm telling you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, the word born again, this is also interesting because this is what causes some of the confusion, I think, here. Jesus says, boy, he uses the word there that can be translated two ways. This word could be translated from above or it could be translated again. And so Jesus, I believe Jesus means to say, unless you are born from above, you can't see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus hears, unless you're born again, but we'll get to that in a minute. Here's why that's important. Why does Jesus seemingly change the subject to being born again or born from above? I don't think he's changing the subject. Nicodemus just said, I have seen the miraculous works that you're doing and I know that no one can do those works unless they come from God. And Jesus responds by saying, you're right, I agree. Unless you're born from above, you can't see those works of the kingdom of God. I think Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you get it. You see what I'm doing. You are born from above. See, I think the mistake in reading this story, and again, I could be wrong. I'm not saying that I'm the final authority here, but when I read this story and understand what's going on here, it seems to me Nicodemus is not floundering around wondering if Jesus is real or not. Nicodemus has said, I've come to you at night because I want you to know I trust you. And I believe that what you're saying is true. And Jesus says, you're right. So you must be born from above. You have something going on inside of you because you can see the work of the kingdom. I think that sets up the story in a different way than the way we normally read it or the way I used to read it, okay? 
So he says, I say to you, you cannot enter the kingdom of God, see the, see the kingdom of God, unless you are born again or born from above. Then Nicodemus gets confused. He says, wait a minute. Uh, you say this word born again. What does that mean? How can I go back to my mother's room and be born again? And this is where Jesus begins to say, uh, he says this. He says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Now, I, uh, I want to say the rest of this conversation, the rest of this discourse, Jesus does a pretty nice job of uh, talking about things that are seen and things that are unseen. And thanks to uh, Bethany's awesome kids message, kids instructions, I think that's fun. I'm going to do that afterwards myself too. That looks cool. Um, we get the idea that, that Jesus is talking about what is seen and what is unseen, the visible and the invisible. So I'm using a whiteboard today, so I'm taking a little page out of Keith's book here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some whiteboarding. We have what is visible. Can you see that? Sort of. And we have what is invisible. Can you see that? Yes, yeah, sort of. All right. So we're going to make a list here because there are things throughout this things throughout this conversation that Jesus says are visible and things he, that are invisible. And the very first thing he says right here is there is water and spirit. Now, when he says born of water, he's probably talking about baptism. We're just going to make that assumption. And I'm going to put baptism. And baptism is not something that makes a difference. It is an outward visible symbol of something that's going on inwardly. So this is new birth. We're going to call it new birth. So the, the visible part is the baptism. The uh, invisible part is new birth. So Jesus goes right into this and says that you have to be born of water and the spirit, the visible and the invisible. He goes on and he talks about how humans can reproduce only human life, but spirits, the spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you have to be born again or born from above. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the spirit. Right? So here's another one, right? What is visible? I'm going to put leaves. Whoops. I know how to spell leaves. Leaves. The leaves rustling in the trees, right? That's visible. The wind itself is invisible. We see the evidence of the wind. We maybe even can hear something. We, we can't even really hear the wind. We hear, we hear the evidence of the wind, right? The wind itself is invisible. So Jesus continues this metaphor of visible versus invisible, right? <clears throat> and then Nicodemus is still confused. He says, how, how is this possible? I'm not understanding this whole invisible thing. Like, I don't get it. And then Jesus says, you're a respected Jewish teacher and you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, yet you won't believe our testimony. He's talking about himself and his disciples. He's saying, we're, we're talking to you about real stuff. I'm telling you now about real physical things. And then he asked the question that is today's question. He says, if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? So the visible things are the earthly things. And the invisible things are the heavenly things. So you see what he's doing here? He's beginning to paint a picture. And he's trying to say that, look, you got to understand the earthly things. 
You, you have to see what's going on. The evidence of the Spirit, the evidence of the wind, not the wind itself. If you, if you don't understand these, how can you possibly understand these? Don't you see how sometimes we seek to understand these ideas that, that are somewhat nebulous, like, like the idea of the Spirit or salvation or other things, instead of looking at what is easily tangible and visible right in front of our eyes? He goes on. It gets really, really interesting. The next thing he says, No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. In other words, the Son of Man is visible. He says, I, I'm right here in front of you. When he says Son of Man, he's talking about himself. John makes that clear throughout the Gospel of John. Jesus says, the Son of Man has come from heaven and is physically, tangibly right in front of you. Right? But you're, you're thinking about heaven. No one has gone to heaven, so no one can possibly know what heaven is like. That's an invisible thing. But you have the visible thing right in front of you. Right? Jesus is our visible representation. Right? Uh, uh, Keith just read that scripture earlier today. He is the representation, the visible. He is ruler of the visible and the invisible, but he is the physical representation of what is invisible in God. Right? So, this is really, really cool. Um, so, he says, No one has ever gone to heaven and returned. The Son of Man has come down from heaven. Then he says this weird thing about the snake. He says, As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. This image comes from the book of Numbers. It's an interesting story. Moses had led the Israelites out of Egypt where they were enslaved, and they were wandering around in the wilderness, and they got a little gripey. They got a little grumbly, and they said, Moses, why did you even bring us out here? At least in Egypt we had food to eat and we could stay warm. What, do you just want us to die out here in the wilderness? So they started grumbling a little bit. And so what happened, because they were grumbling, uh, the ramification of that was that this, this um, infestation of poisonous snakes came into the camp and started biting people. It's a pretty gross story. But, but people were dying from these snake bites. And so God came to Moses and said, Moses, here's what you need to do to help people. Make a bronze snake, put it on a pole, and hold up that pole. And whenever people who have been bitten look at that bronze snake on the pole, then they will not die. So it's an interesting story because the bronze snake on the pole didn't keep the snakes away. It didn't stop people from getting bitten. What happened was when people got bitten and they were sick and they were going to die, they could look at something that was visible and it would heal them, which is invisible. So the snake is visible and the healing is invisible. And Jesus says, just like that, I have to be lifted up. I am visible. And what he's alluding to, and what John is alluding to in telling the story, is the Son of Man, Jesus, being lifted up on the cross. And those who look at the Son of Man, the visible image of God, will be healed. So it's this beautiful image, again, of the visible being more important than the invisible. Not more important, that's the wrong word. If we focus on the visible, it is, it is connected to the invisible in a really strong and powerful way. Okay? Alright, so, um, he goes on and he says, For God loved the world so much that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
God sent his son into the world not to judge, but to save the world. Um, uh, oh, and then he goes on this. He says, there's no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe has already been judged, and the judgment is based on this fact. Here's where he goes into this idea of light and dark. Light and dark. And light, of course, is visible. It makes things visible. And dark hides things and makes things invisible. And Jesus talks about the idea that people are doing works and the light has come into the world. He, and, and again, Jesus uses this image of light and he already used it in the Gospel of John uh, earlier when, when John says uh, that life came into the world and that life was the light of men. And so Jesus is clearly the light in this story. And he, Jesus in this story says, the light has come into the world and it shines on your deeds. And the light reveals what is going on. And some people want to remain in the dark because their deeds are evil or their deeds are sinful. But some people love the light and they want to come into the light because they are doing the work that God has given them. They are doing the work of God. So this light and dark continues the theme of visible versus invisible. So I want to be careful here, but I want to explain to you this idea. And I'm going to write some things here. Uh, this is visible is our good works. And hold on a second before you gasp there. What is visible is our good works. And what is invisible is our soul salvation. I don't know if you can get all the way over that far. Yeah, you can. Okay. Our good works are visible. The salvation of our soul is invisible. There's no visible way to see whether someone is saved or not. You can't go drive through and swab the inside of your mouth with a cotton stick and, you know, have, there's no test for that, right? That's a joke that nobody would have gotten a year ago. Um, but uh, there's no test for it, right? So good works are the visible evidence that there's something happening inside. Now, I want to say this. This is why I wanted to be careful. Uh, I grew up in the evangelical tradition, and even in that tradition, my church was actually pretty progressive, uh, and it was a great church, and I loved my church, but we were still always very careful to, to make sure that we did not confuse works with salvation. It was very important that we get that straight, that we are saved by faith and by faith alone, and we are not saved by our works. But the ramification of that for a young person like me growing up in a church like that, is we begin to discount works entirely. We begin to think, well, works don't matter. Jesus judges the heart, right? So if my heart is right with God, if my soul is saved, if, if I know my eternal destination, then the good works aren't necessarily important. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. This entire story is setting us up for the end passage where he talks about the light and the dark and the deeds of people who will be exposed by the light. And there are people whose deeds are exposed to be good. And there, there are people who don't want to be in the light. They want to be in the dark because their deeds are not good. So this is where it gets real personal real fast. Jesus asked the question, how can you believe me about heavenly things if you're not even listening to me about earthly things? The earthly things, the visible things, are the way we live our lives. The actions that are visible that other people can see. So if I were to find an acquaintance of yours and ask them, hey, can you describe this person for me? What are they like? What would that acquaintance of yours say? What would a person who hardly knows you say about you? Would they say you're kind, compassionate, caring? 
where they say that you stand up for the rights of those who can't stand up for themselves, that you work for justice? Would they say that you are always uh, loving and thoughtful? Like, what are the things that are visible about you? Because those things that are visible are going to reveal the things that are invisible. The things that are visible help to see what's going on inside. So the question I have to ask myself about this is, what is going on in my life? How am I really treating the people that Jesus cared most about? Jesus talks about the poor and those in prison, those who are marginalized, those who are less than. He came and all the miracles he performed, the miracles that Nicodemus saw him perform, were most likely healing miracles. Because the poor, the sick, the destitute were the ones that Jesus came to and restored. How does my life reflect that? Do, do I look like that? Do people see visible actions in my life that I am working for the kind of justice and peace that Jesus wants in the world? How do I work for justice? Jesus came to set things right for everyone. Justice is an important theme in the Gospels. Am I working for justice? Am I trying to help our world, our life be fair for everyone? Not just for people who look a certain way, have a certain skin color, or live within a certain border. How am I having visible actions that impact the work of God's kingdom? Do my actions lead to love, wholeness for other people, for the world? These are the questions that are really important. So there's a couple of takeaways. I'm going to erase here. And the takeaways that I want you to think about are, number one... If you can see the kingdom, I'm going to draw. Keith likes to draw, so I'm going to draw. So that's an eye. Can you see that? If you can see the kingdom, that's a crown. If you can see the kingdom, then you're born from above. Or born again. Born from above. That's the takeaway I think is really cool at the beginning of this story when he says to Nicodemus, hey, nobody can see these things of God's kingdom. Nobody can see the kingdom unless they're born from above. And if you've seen the work of God's kingdom, if you understand and recognize what God is doing in the world, that means that there's some indication that something's going on inside your heart. And that's a cool thing. I think that's a really awesome takeaway. And the second takeaway is this. I'm not going to draw this, but the visible reveals... The invisible. I'm running out of room. You get it, though. You get the idea. The visible reveals the invisible. The things about my life that you can see on the outside say something about what's going on on the inside, within my heart. That's a really important takeaway to me. I know a lot of people say things like, oh, you can't judge a book by its cover. But you know what I always like to say? I like to say you can judge a banana by its peel. This banana, it looks delicious. It's a bright yellow. It's lovely. It's amazing. And I really want to crack it open and eat it right now. But I will probably wait till after church. This is not a banana I want to eat. This banana, I can tell what's going on inside this banana. You don't have to crack it open to know there's some nasty stuff happening inside this banana. Right? 
This is the banana I want to be. Not this banana. So be a good banana. Maybe that should be my third takeaway. Be a good banana. Yeah, that is actually, Pam, that is for banana bread. Yeah, so we could squeeze it out and bake it into banana bread and it would still turn into something yummy. And I'm sure there's a wonderful sermon in there somewhere, but that wasn't what I was going for today. So, um, so be a good banana. <laughs> That's my takeaway for today. I do have a homework assignment for you. I would love it if after church, sometime later today, um, you, you find a piece of paper and a pen or maybe your favorite journal. And I want you to start thinking about a list of things. What is visible in your life? What are some things that over the past day or the past week, or maybe even if something's happened over the past month, what's something that people have seen visibly in your life? Make a list of several things. And then beside each one of those, try to think about what is the invisible thing that that is making visible. So maybe you remember a time when you were compelled to stop and uh, talk to some homeless people. And that conversation with, with some homeless people led you to have greater compassion. And so you, you ran and you grabbed some blankets and some food and you met them because they were cold and you, you, you gave them those things. And that was a visible, tangible action. And I know that actually happened to some of you in the last few months. So that's pretty cool. So, so that's a visible, tangible action, right? So you do that thing that's visible that's not what saves you. That's not what puts you right with God. What it is, is it's making visible what's already in your heart. So right next to that, right, what is the thing that that is making visible? Is it my, the love of Jesus being made evident in my actions? Is it, is it my, my compassion for those who have less than I do, right? Try to put it on paper. This is a visible thing that happened in my life. And here's the invisible thing that that is making manifest. Does that make sense? So that's sort of your homework assignment. And if you want to write it in lemon juice and then iron it later, that's fine. That would be totally cool. Um, or you could just write it in a journal. That would be great too. So uh, let's pray together real quick and uh, then we will uh, we'll move on. Jesus, we thank you so much for your amazing words, your discourse with Nicodemus that is so informative and so helpful for us to understand the difference between the visible and the invisible. We thank you for shining a light in our world and helping us to see that our deeds in the light that come from you are what's important. I want to pray for everybody in this Zoom gathering this morning that we would have the confidence and courage to go out and, and make visible the things that are truly in our heart, the good things in our heart that you have changed, that you have, that you have uh, saved and redeemed us from, you've made us whole. Please help us to have the strength and courage to live a life that makes those things visible and understand that that what is visible is what can be seen, and yet what is invisible isn't always understood, but it's okay. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you for your guidance and for your words of Scripture. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.